Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world. Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of What Do You Know About That? How's it going, Mary Angela? Hey, Eric. Really good. How are you? I'm doing just dandy. I'm happy to be here on a lovely Thursday afternoon with you. Absolutely. Me too. Me too. What are we talking about today? What's going on this day in science? Well, this day in science, June 9th, on Thursday, 2016, autism affects more than the brain. So a collaboration of neurobiologists from Harvard and the Howard Hughes Medical Institute published their research on the origin and causes of autism. The work demonstrated that many cases of autism involved a dysfunction of nerve and synapse function. This dysfunction, researchers say, means that autistic subjects may receive an unnatural overflow of sensory data from different parts of their bodies, which when combined with the previously established ramifications of autism, create the hallmark hypersensitivity of the condition, such as anxiety and social aversions. Researchers hope this breakthrough will help refine the ways we address autism and improve the quality of life for those affected. Wow, that's kind of a big deal. At least from my understanding of autism, that's really the root of a lot of the issues are, right? It stems from a sensory integrative disorder. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's why the, um, the, what was it, Temple Grandin invented that hug machine to help, that compression machine to help her calm. Yeah, she worked with cows and Correct. remodeled the entire industry as to how cattle, are, I guess, are managed. Well, right, because what was happening was they were being funneled to slaughter, basically, and it was a very bad system that would agitate them and then make it really difficult for them when they got into, you know, be able to, what happens this next? It's going down a dark path. It but. is. But but she realized that there was a way to to calm them in that situation so they wouldn't be so alarmed going through that process. So and in that way, you could say animals are in their own right autistic. Yeah, maybe. But she discovered pretty quickly that it would also work for herself to help soothe herself when she got overstimulated oh, yeah. and felt anxious and anxiety in that way. No, I think it's really interesting stuff. Yeah. No doubt. This day in science. All right. So what do you have on your radar going on in the neighborhood? Well, I have a couple events coming up, but I thought you might have something you wanted to talk about. Well, going on I in did the actually. And, and if you want to give me the floor, I'll, I'll be happy to elaborate. It, it really is just a, a small discovery I made. I was talking with um, a really close family friend, and she had mentioned this pizza spot right around the corner from where she lives. And this is actually located on Lehigh Avenue. It's a, a spot called Down North. What makes this pizza spot really unique is that they are an equal opportunity employer, and they actively provide jobs for ex convicts oh, know, wow. folks who are who are getting out of prison so the the mission statement says uh, down north pizza is no ordinary neighborhood pizza joint 
We marry top quality, delicious comfort food with the mission of reducing recidivism rates in our community. It just struck me as really interesting and the one of the few places I've seen that has a like a pan pizza offering. You don't really see like pan style pizza in the neighborhood so much. That's true, so you do don't. like a little square pan sized pizza. Now they're only open like a handful of days out of the week. It's like Thursday through Sunday. So I think you'd probably want to call ahead just to check in and make sure that they're open because the way their hours are set, I think they open in the in the afternoon and then they basically close until they run out of inventory. Oh wow. All right. Yeah. I mean, I love that mission. How how long have they been open, does it say? If you go to eater.com, there's this whole article on, it says how a Detroit-style pizza spot in Philly creates jobs for formerly incarcerated people. So it's this really amazing article goes into it. It talks about the executive chef, uh, Michael Carter, who himself had spent 12 years incarcerated. But I don't think he's he's the founder. There's another individual that founded the spot. It doesn't say in the article how long they've been around. It just really goes into the mission. Mm-hmm. And there's this really great video that shows them going through the process of how they make their dough. Right. That's good to know. Well, in uh, other news of things to check out in the neighborhood, uh, I used to work right next to Vernon Park, right? Mm-hmm. That's the big park that's right next to the First Presbyterian Church in Germantown. And um, I would once in a while see events going on in Vernon Park, but the hours that I worked were not usually event hours. And then, of course, the pandemic happened and people started taking to the parks a little more because doing things outside were sa- was safer than doing things inside. Right. And so Vernon Park is having this kind of resurgence of activities and things happening a little more frequently. In addition, they've redone the SEPTA station that's right there at Chelton and Green. There's a SEPTA like bus stop there and that's all been redone in conjunction with the um, renovation of Maplewood Mall which is right down the way so yep, right where G-Town Radio is at exactly so it's really nice little piece of of the neighborhood right there and there's a couple really fun things coming up in Vernon Park so um, the first one I noticed was they are having Juneteenth in the park on June 17th uh, from 10 to 1 and it's um on the front lawn, there'll be fun, games, food. That's what it lists on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that's going to be a really good event. Mm-hmm. On top of that, right afterwards, on the 24th, so the following Friday, from 12 to 2.30, is Pride. Pride in the Park. It's a celebration of inclusion and allyship in Vernon Park, which I think is exciting. They're going to have things like a mindfulness session and resource tables and giveaways and treats and jazz music and mm-hmm. basically says bring a chair and bring a friend <laughs> and some of the sponsors are germantown friends it just looks like a really cool event in the park now it is a friday in the middle of the day fortunately i have friday off so <laughs> i can go check it out uh, if you don't have friday off tell your friends that do have fridays off it does seem like it might be a fun event Something cool going on in the neighborhood. Meet some neighbors. See what's going on. Yeah, no, this is the perfect weather to do it. Yeah. All the outdoor activities. Yeah. And then I did notice that the Mappening is coming back. If you don't know what the Mappening is, that is an event that happens on Maplewood Mall on the last Saturday of the month. And it's only in the warmer months, so it's starting this month, June, which is um, June 25th. And it goes... It's not really specific about when exactly it starts. It says 
The Universal African Dance and Drum Ensemble will be playing at 3 p.m., followed by an open mic. But I do know that there are vendors that will be out there as well, like different craftsmen um, from the neighborhood that will be there. And then, of course, any of the businesses on Maplewood Mall will be open. And they'll happen again the last Saturday of July and the last Saturday of August and the last Saturday of September. And then the last Saturday of October will probably be the last one because then it gets too cold. Yep. So they only do it in the warm months. So... Got it. Yeah. Nice. Keep, keep an eye out for the mapping. That's what they call it. The mapping on the mapping. Mall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. yes. So like that's what's going on in the neighborhood. Very cool. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear about all the outdoor activities because tis the season, and I'm so 100% here for it. Yeah. So now that we've talked about this day in science. We've talked about things happening in the neighborhood. Please, Mary Angela, enlighten me. What is our main topic for today's show? Well, I thought I would talk today about killer whales, <gasps> which ironically are not whales. <laughs> okay. Did, did you know that? What do you know about that? I had no idea they weren't technically whales. I just know that they're mammals because... Of the way they rear their young and they breathe air, they just happen to be aquatic. It is true. But they are actually dolphins. They belong to the dolphin family. They're the largest dolphins. Okay. And so that is why in the late 60s, we stopped calling them killer whales and we really started calling them orcas. Because that is a more official name for them, representational of what they are, because right. they aren't actually whales. They don't eat krill. <laughs> they don't, you know, they're, they're, they're not... This is true. No, I don't really know too many... Well, that's not true. I was going to say there are whales that are... They, they eat other living things, but yeah, to your point, usually they're really, really small. Correct. Small fish, krill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, orcas, they, they go after them seals. Correct. So, um, where, yeah. Where does the name orca come from? Do you know? I do know. It means... Orcanus, I might be saying that wrong, but Orcanus. It's a means Latin the, derivative or something? It is, and basically means of the kingdom of the dead or belonging to Orcus. Ancient Romans originally used Orca for these animals, possibly borrowing it from the ancient Greek, uh, which referred to, among other things, a whale species. Hmm. But it's actually part of the family Delphinidae, which is a species more closely related to other oceanic dolphins I, I rather love it than when whales. You speak science. Yes, sorry. I don't know any of that and probably said it all wrong, but anyway, that's that's where it comes from. Okay. So yeah, so that was the first thing that really surprised me about killer whales. And the reason why I got into this topic was because I watched this great documentary on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. And it was called Keiko the Untold Story. So do you know who Keiko was? So this goes back to SeaWorld, right? Nope. So Keiko is actually the orca that was in the Free Willy franchise. All three movies was Keiko. And Keiko's story is actually pretty amazing for a couple reasons. Mm -hmm. First of all, how he came to be in these films. Secondly, what happened to him after he was in the films. And that's what brought me to this whole topic, because as I got deeper into this documentary, I started learning a lot more things about orcas and about their personalities and how social they are. They're one of the most social and one of the most intelligent creatures on the planet. 
Well, yeah, they teach their young a very specific tactic to beach animals to to kill them. Well, that's a certain a certain pod, a certain type family right. of orcas do that, right? So different orcas from different parts of the world teach different things, right? By necessity, but yes, that to the point is it's taught, right? It's not something they know. It's not something. It's not an instinctive it behavior. It is not. It is something that their pod, if it's they're learned. like, oh, well, you live down here where we have seals, and the way we get seals is this way. Learn how to do this. Oh, whoops, you're not good at this. Okay, well, you're not eating seal today. And then, then, then the ones who can do it go and do it and leave the poor little guy who hadn't mastered that skill yet to learn it better next time when they go again. Which is how we parent children, right? Give it a try. Oh, you didn't do it. It's okay. You'll try again some other time. It's fine. You didn't get that seal. Right, right. Today wasn't your day for seal. So, yes, right. That's part of it. The other thing is their lifespan. And what I found really interesting about the lifespan of an orca is that it's different from males to females, which is the same as with humans, right? A lot of times men- Kick the bucket sooner. (laughs) They do, (laughs) for various reasons, but they do. And women tend to live longer. And it's the same in, in orcas. The lifespan of your average female is between 56 and 87 years. That's your average lifespan. And Mm. for the males, it's actually 27 to 68. Wow. It's different, right? It's a a very different span. It's dramatically different. It is dramatically different. And something that they study and talk about, particularly in this documentary, is that mental health is an issue for orcas. And the orcas that are in captivity tend to have very poor mental health for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And... Those orcas tend to die very young. And the thought used to be, we don't understand why they're not living longer. We're feeding them. They're swimming. They're doing this. They weren't taking into account the mental health health of them. And so this particular story of Keiko kind of folds all of that together and proved a lot of points that people had always sort of thought about orcas and kind of brought them to light in a, in a very interesting way because of what happened. So here's the long and the short of it. Keiko was born in September of 1976, roughly, and uh, he died in December of 2003. So he was 27 years old. Yeah, and pretty it's pretty young. That's the very low age of the, the male mortality rate. And he was born near Iceland and lived there for the first three years of his life. And then he was captured by whalers in Iceland because whaling was a huge industry in Iceland all the way up until like the early 2010s. It didn't actually get outlawed and get stopped in Iceland until most recently the last decade. Anyway, he was picked up and um, his first stop was um, he went to a an Icelandic aquarium in a town that I cannot pronounce, but it <laughs> has a whole lot of umlauts and apostrophes over letters, oh so it's an Icelandic name. Um, <laughs> and then he was moved in 1982 to Marineland in Ontario, so that's his second home. Now, he was already very small for his age and, and at that point, which is why smaller aquariums could afford him, because... He wasn't getting as big a price because he hadn't grown as much. Also, being smaller, you could have a smaller tank. Uh, Then he was sold in 1985 to an amusement park in Mexico City. And Mexico City and Iceland have, like, completely different climates Mm -hmm. if you can't 
figure that out. So what happened was his enclosure was actually an enclosure for dolphins, bottlenose dolphins. Oh, boy. That they put him in because at the time he was small enough that he could sort of get away with it. But then, of course, they fed him. And then, of course, they took care of him. And, of course, he grew. And he really did outgrow that enclosure. And it became very difficult for him to stay well because not only was his enclosure too small, but the water couldn't be cooled. Even with all of their cooling abilities, they tried it the best they could to keep the water as chill as they could. It's Mexico City. Yeah. And the sun, I mean, Mexico City is pretty close to the equator. Like, you know, we're getting down there. It's warm. And probably closer to the coast, I would think. And Mexico City's kind of inland, but it's, I mean, it's hot. It's very oh, hot. Yeah. And it's hot and congested. There's a lot of smog in Mexico City. It's one of the yeah. largest cities in Mexico. It's a body of water. Correct. That's too small for you, mm-hmm. <laughs> that you're sharing with other dolphins. I mean, he wasn't alone in there, but they weren't his species, right? So he's in there with other dolphins, and it's too warm. I hate it when I have to share my tank with other dolphins. I know. It's the worst. It was, it was hard to keep him healthy, and he wasn't growing appropriately for his age. Mm-hmm. So that is when Hollywood came a-knocking. Hollywood was looking for a smaller aquarium to film Free Willy at, and they came across Keiko at this aquarium, and they purchased him and got him with, you know, he was already trained because he was a a trained entertainer at these different aquariums, but they got him with a, a different trainer, and they moved him to a California aquarium with a slightly larger tank still not great but enough that worked for them and they did some of the um shooting actually there at that aquarium in mexico city before Mm -hmm. moving him so now he films free willy and the sequels (laughs) and during the time of this when the first movie came out right it was so popular people found out that here was this whale that this whole great movie about freeing him was all about, and yet this whale was 100% not free. Not free. So, of course, activists were like, what? This can't happen. We have to free this whale. So people started raising money mm-hmm. to be able to set him free. Now, the process is very long to like even raise enough money to try and think about freeing one, uh, you know, especially a, a whale that had been in captivity at this point. We're talking... Yeah, it's, I mean... 1993. Point, how do you get him to acclimate to like hunting for food and things like that. Correct. So at this point, he's 17 years old. He's a teenager. It's a teenage whale or dolphin-esque. Anyway. Um, large dolphin. <laughs> large orca. Do- large orca. And yeah, so they're people on the research side trying to figure out how they can make this happen. Meanwhile, Hollywood is scrambling to film the two sequels so that they can get three movies out of this whale before they decide to set it free. And in the time that mm-hmm. it took them to do that, researchers came up with this plan the thought was they could move him to iceland take him back to iceland and put him in a basically open enclosure so that being is it's actually an enclosure but it's out in the ocean right it's but it's blocked off it has a gate which you can then open and release him out into the open water Mm -hmm. over time so he has a place to go that he's used to it's a home it's a home base but he's also can be let out and taken out into the waters and, you know, reacclimated with other orcas. Now, at that stage, they would need to teach him things like how to fish and stuff because he's very, very, very reliant on humans, right? He hasn't had to feed himself his entire life mm-hmm. that he can remember, not since he was three years old. At that point, at the age of three, he's only really been truly hunting on his own for about a year because in orca pods, the, you know, females and the, the pod themselves, the family feed the orca and help him feed, Mm -hmm. teach him, as you were just talking about, until he can do it himself. 
And so that would have just been starting to happen, him being able to do it himself when he was captured. Right. And then there was nothing for him to feed on. It was literally do this trick and you get food, do this trick and you get food. So that's all been reprogrammed. And now he's, you know, that was 15 years before and he has no memory of that. So that's the plan. The plan is to put him on a gigantic plane and fly him to Iceland. Ironically, when that gigantic plane, it was like a commissioned naval like freight plane basically lands in Iceland there's a malfunction with its landing wheels and it actually ends up crashing but luckily it it didn't damage the whale and it didn't damage anybody else on the plane so that was fine but it was one of those things yes correct that was good but I was just like wow the irony of that you know this huge plane flies all the way from California to Iceland and then just to damage the cargo just a crash on the on the way in, but luckily everybody was okay. So they put him in this enclosure, and now people are being paid. Trainers are being, and, and biologists are being, marine biologists are being tra- paid to train this orca to seek food and also to leave the pen and swim about and get close to other orca pods. Mm-hmm. So what would happen is they'd take a boat out, right? And he, the Orca would would follow, Keiko would follow the boat because that's what he was used to doing. He knew that on the boat were the trainers, on the trainers that meant food, that meant, you know, everything. And then they would lead him either to schools of fish where he could fish or they would lead him toward pods of other orcas. and Trying to get him to socialize. Correct. What they found was he really liked watching but he really did not like to engage. Mm -hmm. They could only ever get him so close. So a lot of people sort of considered that a a failure they were like wow he didn't really you know socialize in the way we thought and you know some people were like maybe it was his family would they recognize him they found out he didn't really vocalize so Mm. much so whereas these other orcas were very vocal never grew up around it it's like he'd never been taught yeah he didn't he didn't know how to vocalize but they would vocalize and they said he really liked to listen so he could follow if an orca pod was off in the distance and he had seen them and was watching them and Mm -hmm. then that pod moved he, he would, would follow the sound, but at the same distance that he was watching them originally. Right. So it was like he would go, but he would stay very distant. Um, and then he would return uh, almost without prompting. Like in some cases, he would leave and go back to the enclosure mm. before the boat. Like the boat's not even going back. He's, oh, wow. he's leading them. And they're like, oh, well, he wants to go back. We're going back. But it's kind of sad. He's like the outsider. Right. He's there. So this went on for... I think they said like six months. It was about a half a year. Mm-hmm. And after about six months, they started just sort of leaving the gate open because he really was very clear about where right. like where he needed to return to. So there wasn't a worry. He didn't need to be let out. If the gate was open, he just could let him he, be free he, to do his he own could thing. Go, he could go in and out as he pleased. Um, sometimes they noticed he would go out when he heard other orcas, but there's certain times of years, you know, as you know, orcas migrate, mm-hmm. right? So there's periods of time where there are no orcas. And he would not migrate with them. Correct. He did not. He would stay. He, he did not want to follow them anywhere. But one day he left the pen. They're not 100% sure why, if he had heard something, if it was just his own curiosity, who knows mm-hmm. why. But he left. And he didn't come back. He never came back. Not that he never came back. So okay. they had a tracker on him, which they could follow. And they discovered he was swimming after something. 
They couldn't really tell mm. what because obviously they didn't have other orcas tracked. So they were right. like, maybe it's a pod. Maybe it's the sound of a pod. Maybe who knows what it is. But he swam all the way from Iceland to Norway. He went across the Atlantic Ocean. Whoa. Yeah. It took him about 30 that's days. A, that's a lot of swimming. He did it. In 30 days, he swam across the Atlantic Ocean. I could do it in 30 days. <laughs> and then maybe. he ended up in a fjord <laughs> in Norway. And I can't pronounce the name of this fjord because, again, it's got a lot of umlauts. Can and you say it with an accent, though? No. In the Norway. Anyway. Anyway. Um, he showed up there, and the people of this fjord, the people who lived around this fjord there in, in Norway, were like, whoa, there, there's an orca in here. <laughs> like, What is an orca doing here? Well, yeah. What, what, no, stop it. Okay. <laughs> Not Swedish chefs. Cut it out. <laughs> um, but yes, they were, they were quite surprised. And then, of course, by this point, the marine biologists are like, hey, everybody over here in Norway, we're coming over because that's our orca. And he just swam across the Atlantic Ocean, and we're not sure why. And if he likes it here in your fjord, then maybe this is where he's going to be. So they pack up everything. They leave Iceland. They come over to Norway. They rent a house on the fjord. They now reintroduce themselves wow. to him. He's like, oh, hey, friends, I know you. Like, there's immediate recognition. These researchers sound a little like umbrella moms. <laughs> I mean, they're just trying to make sure that he's okay. They wanted I to check know. him out. He survived a 30-day on his own right. swim across the Atlantic Ocean. And turns out, you know, there were a couple scrapes and, 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 and bumps on him, which they think could have been a couple things. They think he might have actually engaged with some orcas, and that may have been... They were like, yo, yo, back up. Yeah, could have been a thing, you know, because some of them looked a little bit like teeth mark, which happens. Orcas do that when they're mating. They also do that when they're, you know, being territorial, et cetera, and so forth. But he wasn't particularly harmed. He had lost a little bit of weight, which meant he wasn't feeding as much as he should have, but Mm -hmm. he was eating. He was not starved. So that was also a really good sign. So they realized, okay, on his own, he's probably not going to eat as much as he needs to to stay truly healthy, but he is eating, so that's a plus. Mm -hmm. So now they've relocated their base of operations to this fjord in Norway, and they're going to continue to socialize and engage with him as well as offer him some food, but also let him. Now, this isn't an enclosure. There's no enclosure here. Yeah, he's free to do whatever he wants He completely could leave at any time, but he decided to stay. This was this was where he wanted to be for whatever reason. And there were several pods of orcas that would come by off in the distance that he could then swim out to, mm-hmm. be as nearish as he wanted to be, and then return to the fjord's safety, basically. And that was really interesting to me. S- some point in December of that year, when the winters really set in in Norway, he got pneumonia, mm-hmm. which happens. And sometimes they can give them medicines, which they did say they, they tried to do. But there was some question as to his desire to continue living because that's where this mental health piece comes in. He probably did try to engage on a couple occasions, at least on that 30 days. Yeah, and wasn't successful and was like, yo, this sucks. Yeah, I'm, I'm never going to be accepted. I'm always going to be this person on the outside the outsider, looking yep. in. Um, and there's only so much the humans can do for me, you know, even though he, you know, seemed to express all we can assume is joy, um, you know, when engaging with the trainers um, or the marine biologists, I should say at that point, um, it's hard to say. But a lot of them really suspect that, you know, they've seen 
One one of the people on the on the documentary, one of the doctors talked about how he had seen whales, or particularly um, orcas, with worse cases of pneumonia, right, sicker than Keiko was originally, get better, mm-hmm. and Keiko did not. Wow! And so, I never thought to even think about dolphins, whales getting pneumonia, but yeah, I mean they're air breathers. I suppose it's yep. distinctly uh, possible. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's just virus, just like the rest of us, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. So then that brings us to the evaluation of this reintroduction process, because what the scientists were trying to do is really establish a protocol for returning captive whales and dolphins to the waters. And the harsh reality is, you can't. You can't. You can't. Right. They considered this experiment basically a failure because he never reacclimated truly in the wild with, you know, other orcas. Um, you know, he didn't mate. He didn't join a pod. He didn't any of those things. And that really brings brought up this whole concept of, you know, then what we really need to do is stop doing this to these animals. Like mm-hmm. that's really the bottom line is yep. that you can't, you know, especially an animal that's so intelligent and an animal that you know, has has such a social structure. I mean, it would be like, you know, someone taking you when you were a child and being like, you're never going to see your parents again. We're now going to raise you in this carnival and make you do tricks all day for your food. Yeah, no, it's it's what they call animal cruelty. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I, you know, I enjoyed the zoo probably as much as any other kid growing up. But, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'm not saying anything about zoos, but just me personally I'm not a fan just considering that you know you're you're taking an animal that would otherwise be free putting them in an enclosed environment yeah and so there are some people who say that you're you know saving that animal from predators right but that's a little bit of the natural order of the world right you know and something that they learn to do right it's learned learned behavior how to survive how to you know, stay warm in the winter, how to cool off in the summer, how to do all those things. And if those things are all provided for you, always, right, you don't learn those things. You don't learn to communicate with your kind. You don't learn relationship building. You don't, you're missing out on these pieces of things that, that can happen. Um, and, you know, the animal world is is full of all of that. You know, we, we see that in, you know, all those David Darwin Attenborough. at his best. David Attenborough specials, you know, he spends a lot of time watching and observing animals in their habitat. But yeah, it was it was a little disappointing to hear them say that they, you know, considered it a failure for him. They do consider it a success that they gave him the best life they could after he left captivity, like true captivity, but they never truly freed him. But but he did live a much better life than what he was living in that tiny aquarium sure. in Mexico City. Well and remind me the because, and I, I believe this is one of the telltale signs, the, the dorsal fin that's flopped over, right? Mm-hmm. That's a sign of, like, the orca being unhappy. Well, it's not about unhappy. It's actually unfit. 
So when the when the fin flops over like that, it's because the muscles that are used that are developed in the wild, mm-hmm. right, aren't being worked out uh, in an enclosure. So the fin no longer stands up wow. because those muscles aren't engaged. It's like your legs atrophying if yeah. you don't use them, right? You're not you're not running around anymore, and so suddenly you can't stand on your That's own legs horrible. because you don't. Yeah, that is what the bent over dorsal fin represents. Well, and and going back, I think just in general, they're you know switching gears a little bit to um the what, what was it called in Orlando, Florida? Sea World. The, uh, the Marine World. Sea World? Sea World, yes. <laughs> I never I've never been. Oh, yeah, I've been to the one in California a lot. As but Sea World too, isn't that something that they've ceased to do? They no longer have an orca. Correct. Yeah, they used to, but and I think there were some issues with the the orca acting out correct so here's here's an interesting fact about the term killer whale right so in truth the only time orcas have ever been responsible for killing humans was in captivity Mm -hmm. was in those situations where they had had enough and they weren't we suspect they weren't actually trying to kill that human. It was more of they were just trying to communicate, I'm done here. Yeah. I'm finished with this. And it just so happens they're really big and don't know the strength of their own jaw. And it ends up right killing a human. But it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, what did you expect? Like, <laughs> you know. Well, it, it makes me think about like what you, you were you made reference to like like um, vaudeville or something. But uh, elephants mm-hmm. in circuses. There have been so many stories I've heard of elephants that just, they just, I guess, snap. They just had enough. And yeah. They just go on a rampage and they end up taking him down. It's tragic. Yeah. But but, but truthfully, in, in the wild, killer whales aren't really killer. It was a name that was given to them, you know, by mm-hmm. early, like, seamen, basically, who, you know, would see them out and, and see them eating seals, right? You know, chomping on a seal is a pretty bloody mess. That seems pretty frightening. <laughs> that seems like it would be killer well, whales. But really, they're just trying to eat. They kill us. <laughs> they're, just, they're just eating the available food that is near where they are at that time. So something that's interesting is, yes, as you mentioned, SeaWorld no longer has uh, any orcas. And I think most aquatic like you know places like that um the the tourist attractions they're not they don't housing they don't they don't have them anymore um so then the question is what happened to them right we've just established that you can't set them back into the wild no they set up like a a, like a like you said probably like an enclosed area that's in the ocean yeah yep they create what they call um a sanctuary or oceanic enclosure, a sea pen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a big project called the Whale Sanctuary Project. It's about $20 million a year. And their responsibility is to basically do the best they can for the animals coming from captivity, to give them the best Jeez. second part of their life as they can without turning them off into the wild, because turning them out into the wild would not be certain death. It would. But yeah. they can't necessarily commingle, right? Correct. Now, the ones who were together, so like, you know, SeaWorld had two or three orcas, right? It didn't just have one they orca. Can pair them. Correct. Those can be in an enclosure together, the ones that are used to it. But yes, you can't just intermingle other captive orcas. But 
Yeah. There's, you know, there's some ways of introduction of doing that. But I think it's interesting to note that there are several of these sanctuaries around um, and they exist and they exist in places that would be temperature appropriate. Iceland, right. Norway. Frigid you know, waters. Right. Yeah. Places where, you know, they could live and be healthy as long as they can until they, you know, aren't anymore. So kick the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. I did find it interesting. I mean, it was a very well done documentary and it was a story I did not know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I saw Free Willy when it came out in 1993. I remember that movie. I did not watch any of the sequels, but <laughs> I had no idea that it, you know, spawned this great movement that then basically ended with us no longer capturing and, and whaling. So go out and appreciate animals. <laughs> Well, thank you, Mary Angela, for that segment. Really enjoyed it. You're welcome. So please stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go anywhere, because coming up very shortly, we have our featured musical guest for Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? And we are joined today by Valentina Sound. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. All right, well, welcome back, everybody. Glad you're joining us right now because we're about to jump right into our segment of uh, Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? And today we're joined with uh, Valentina Sounds. Welcome to the show. And you're here live in person. We haven't had a live in-person guest in... All year in 2022, you're the first. Oh, I am. Uh, I am honored. Thank you for being here. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am originally from Italy. I uh, have been in the Philadelphia area for about 13 years now, and I am a school teacher by day. I teach um, voice and choir. But I'm a rock star wannabe <laughs> at, at night. <laughs> um, and that's what I'm here to talk about. <laughs> awesome. So my band's name is Valentina Sounds, uh, which became eventually my stage name because my actual last name, which is Raffaelli, was difficult to spell. And it's not just difficult to spell for Americans, it's just difficult to spell in general. Even in Italy, they got it wrong on my driver's license. So, oh, no. yeah, it, it, it's been an ordeal my entire life. Oh, does it have a double F, wow. double L? So I was like, let's just pick a word that um, people know. And um, with a brainstorming session with some friends, sounds came up and I liked it. So I kept that. <laughs> Can't go wrong with sounds. I mean, right? I like it, yeah. <laughs> I'm a musician, so it fits more or less. So, so tell us a little bit about that. Can you maybe take us down memory lane? How did you kind of get involved in music? What's your, what's your history with music? And, you know, how has it brought you to where you're at right now? Um, hmm. How far back do you want me to go? <laughs> I mean, it's totally up to you. Um, uh, well, when I was a little girl. Uh, now, I'll tell you this um, anecdote because I think it's, I personally think it's cute. And I see some of my little students do it. So. Um, when I was very small, maybe four or five years old, 
my parents would play operas and classical music around the house and we had an upright piano my father was taking piano lessons every now and then he would show me something on the piano and we were listening to uh carmen we were listening to the main theme of carmen which is one of my favorites (laughs) and i just walked over to the piano and played it for them and they were like oh she needs piano lessons (laughs) we need to get her piano lessons she clearly has a good ear for music so that's that's how it all began that's that's wow that's great (laughs) that's the one thing that I remember and then it was tragic from there I had horrible horrible piano teachers like smacking the hands all that jazz uh you know Italian strict conservatory uh that's like yeah that's old school it is old school and it was there was a rule apparently that I couldn't play anything but Bach until I was a certain age and I was really not interested in that. So I quit. I started taking drums lessons and then I fell into musical theater. I discovered that I had a voice and that I could sing and I could act. And I went on to theater for a while and then I realized that playing piano was really useful. And I, I started reincorporating that into my music education. And then, um, like we were chatting before, I went to school for film for b- whatever reason. <laughs> why not? <laughs> I don't know why, but I did. I have an, an undergrad in uh, film and contemporary arts. And then finally, um, I met someone who brought me over to Philadelphia to study at University of the Arts. And... I consolidated my love for singing, for jazz, for uh, vocal education, for vocal health and uh, choir. I discovered choir, which is incredible. And um, and I, I think I try to keep all of those things alive in the sound of my band. So a little bit of love for arrangements and classical music and Europop, um, a little bit of showmanship, musical theater things and three-part harmonies so i i throw it all in there i love that i love that (laughs) description i'm like oh no i yeah i think that's that's great well and to combine all those elements theater acting music it's it works it works i think a good uh you know a good front person has a certain amount of showmanship to them and Mm -hmm. um nobody has complained (laughs) (laughs) Great. So when did you move to Philadelphia? Um, it's been 13 years now. Oh, wow. I'm not okay. going to tell you the, the age that I was or <laughs> the age that I am. <laughs> going to leave it a secret. Um, but no, it's it's been a while. Uh, but I, I like it here. Um, Philly has a homey feel to it. Um, everybody says that Philadelphia's a, you know, the Philadelphia people are harsh people. It's because you haven't been to Tuscany. So (laughs) you haven't been to Italy. People here are really nice. (laughs) That's good to know. Mental note. Um, That's hilarious. Usually you hear the opposite. Yeah. Oh, you Americans, you're so, you're so brute. Really? Well, from whom? From Canadians? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, no, I'm I'm, I'm speaking probably more the French. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But nothing against any of our, you know, Listeners who are French. French, yeah. You know. Hey, <laughs> it's fine. You do you. So um, being here for 13 years, that, that's a while. I guess you've gotten to know kind of the scene. What is one of the things you, you've found that you enjoy the most about music in Philadelphia and, and the, you know, collection of musicians that you've encountered? I 
um, find it fun at this point after being in the music scene for so long to uh, walk into a bar that I've never been and see definitely find one of my friends on stage playing I think that's what I enjoy the most and I've considered moving a couple of times and I think I would miss that connection that I have with so many people a little bit through University of the Arts and a little bit through just playing with um, different bands through the years I played with bluegrass bands with folk uh, folk groups Uh, we had a a folk group called Sparkle Pony a few years ago. Another Sparkle Pony. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm familiar with this. Yeah, mm. uh, the band has dismantled. Uh, I played with Mark Silver and the Stone Throwers. I played with Ray Atkins. So all different kinds of genres and music. And um, I think that's what I like about it is uh, knowing all these wonderful people that just go out there and play do you have any particular locales that you'd like to hang out maybe more so pre-pandemic but yeah it's been tough getting back to seeing live shows mm-hmm. um i was recently at artmore music hall um i hang out a lot at 118 but uh, just to stay in the area, I spent some time at the Grape Room a few year, a few, sorry, not years, <laughs> a few weeks ago to see a couple of friends um, play a set there. So I'm trying to slowly uh, uh, re-embrace the, the places I used to uh, visit. I live in the suburbs, so I tend to stay a little bit more out of Center City, Philadelphia, um, but when I was in college, then it was Time and Chris's Jazz Cafe and Milk Boy and yeah, all yeah. of those. Okay. Very cool. Well, let's uh, maybe talk a little bit about your discography here because you've got a number of recordings that are out there. Yeah. And um, this one that you just got me turned on to, which is entitled Bring on the Fire. That's the album. Yes. Uh, which you've got quite a number of tracks on here. And I'm and I'm listening to this whole album and I'm listening to the lyrics from song to song. I'm like, oh this is this is a relationship album. Oh for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and there's 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 a, a couple of them that I mean it's like you you just you just landed out there. But um <laughs> maybe maybe tell us a little bit about this album. Oh what yeah was, that's so the... that's the cathartic divorce album. Got it. Of 2019. And then I was supposed to tour it in 2020 and the pandemic hit. So uh, if anybody wants to bring on the fire t-shirt, <laughs> <laughs> we, we have boxes and boxes of them. <clears throat> um, but yeah, long-term relationship is the relationship that brought me to the United States, actually. So it was particularly difficult to break off. And on top of it, it was... Um, psychologically abusive I don't want to make it sound like he ever laid a hand on me but it wasn't easy to he didn't make it easy to leave and he didn't make it easy after I left um so these songs sprout from uh an emotionally charged period of my life where one day I was waking up feeling like a tiger that had finally regained freedom. And the next I was feeling like I had still had this heavy ball chained to my ankle. Um, so, yeah, we go from 
I, I like the title song, Bring on the Fire, which basically says, bring it on, I'm ready. I can take whatever you're going to throw at me. Right. You crazy man. And um, and then the, there's another song called Poison where, you know, I'm, I was feeling a little toxic towards other people because he was targeting them. And I felt like I was bringing this... You, you having weird, some guilt. Yeah, I was bringing this weird uh, character into my friends' lives and I was feeling toxic hmm. because of this previous relationship. Uh, but then eventually, I like to have a positive outlook on even the worst situations. Um, and um, the last song of the album, it's called It's Gonna Be Alright. You you never know. Even in the darkest in the darkest moment, there's something inside of you that tells you to keep going and to keep pushing through, and you really have to listen hard to that inner voice and inner light. And if you do, then you know that it's gonna be all right. I think. That's great. I hope. Yeah, positive message. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about the song we're gonna hear. What what song are we playing today? It's that song. Oh, it it's is that song. Oh. It is. It's gonna be all right. It's oh, gonna be great! All right. <laughs> That's what we're gonna hear. All right, let's give it a listen. All right.
Yeah, so it reminds me very 80s rock kind of feel, <laughs> especially with those vocal harmonies jump in there. I was like, oh, man, yep. We had a lot of fun with the harmonies. So, yeah, yeah, so so again, tell me a little bit about the, the artists or the musicians who are playing on this album that you're doing this recording with. Yeah, so Matt Muir produced it. I know he's local to Germantown. Mm-hmm. And uh, we recorded it at Retro City Studios, which is also neighborhood right yep it looked familiar when i drove here yeah right <laughs> and, down yeah and i think the reason why it sounds a little 80s is uh because the fractals are the backing band on bring on the fire so uh jim stager stager i always say his last name wrong sorry jim um kevin hansen um eric johnson and then it was obviously myself on keys and vocals and my roommate at the time, Sarah Mingle, who is now a permanent um, person in the band, um, she used to just hear me sing and she has a, a lovely voice. I met her through musical theater. Um, she had never just sung. She was always on stage dancing and singing at the same time. And I would write a song and then run over to her and be like, okay, sing something on this. <laughs> and so she ended up also recording on the album. Um, and nice. I think that just makes those backup vocals extra special. Oh, know? yeah, they're really punchy. Yeah. <laughs> they cut through big time. No, yeah, we're, we, we, we know all those people you've mentioned. Yeah, yes. <laughs> they're the coolest guys. Well, yeah, and Kevin lives two blocks down the street. Right, right. I yeah. thought he lived around yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> All musicians in our neighborhood. <laughs> All musicians. <laughs> Love right. it. Yeah. So. Yeah, let's talk about um, upcoming shows. Tell us where, where you're going to be, where we can see you. All right. So um, I have a few shows coming up in June for every possible budget that you can think of. Um, the Wayne Music Festival is on June 11th and it runs all afternoon it's it's a free concert and then once covered the expenses of the festival everything else is donated to charity uh, to benefit um, children foundation to fight cancer so good cause great bands Um, after that I'm in a musical production at uh, Players Club of Swarthmore for a musical called Disenchanted Mm -hmm. where I play Belle, but she has had enough of her beast of a husband, and she wants to tell her own story. And then after that, um, I will be in Delaware for three days, playing some house concerts and uh, one show at the Queen. And uh, and then we finally land on Jacopo's uh, Rubicam block party, which is right around the corner from here, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I cannot wait. To, to play Jacopo's. And that's, this should uh, be a fun time. Yeah, and that's a pay-what-you-can kind of show. Um, I know a lot of the musicians that are playing, and they're just fantastic. And the crowd of people that goes to Jacopo's party, too, is is um, a lot of fun and a very eclectic group of human beings, wonderful human beings. <laughs> yeah. And we had Jacopo on our show and, and talked very much about it. So for our listeners, just as a reminder, he has um, a great space outside um, and he is on the edge of Worcester Woods. And so it's a beautiful outdoor concert. It's going to be a really nice night and a lot of great music. There's yeah. two stages. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This year, first year, two stages. Yeah. Yeah. And it, we're going to alternate between the two, I believe. That's mm-hmm. correct. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yep. And the date of that is the 26th June 26th of June. Of June. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot I'm playing in Exton. I don't know if you have any listeners all the way out there, but I am playing a 
um, concert in the square um, in Exton, PA, on the 21st of June. So a pretty packed June, a few shows uh, a little out of the way in July in Mount Gretna. And then I fly home, I go to Italy for a month and a half because I need to rest <laughs> and spend some time with family. And um, because of COVID, we have really haven't seen much of each right, other. So. Yeah. Right, right. I'm happy to go. Of oh, course. Wow, that's really exciting. Yeah. Well, for someone who hasn't, like, who's been slowly getting back out, it sounds like you got a pretty full schedule. I am as surprised as you are. <laughs> I I really thought um, June, June didn't look this booked in March. And usually, you know, you start booking several months in advance, especially now that we're everybody wants to play, you know. So, but l- slowly but surely, yeah. things yeah. got booked and... Um, yeah, I feel good about it. That's awesome. That's yeah. So really quick for our listeners, they want to check you out. Valentina Sounds. Yeah, dot com. Dot com. Valentina Sounds anywhere on social media. You're streaming pretty much on all the major platforms, iTunes, Spotify. That's so right. So folks want to look you up. It's not too hard to do. Yeah. We've got uh, some Bring on the Fire is a full band album. And then recently I released an EP with my... Um, to backup singers, our female power trio. Um, and it's a, a live EP where we rework some of the songs from Bring on the Fire and then incorporate some some new ones. So that's, I like that one too. Very cool. Yeah. Well, awesome. Look forward to checking out new music from you. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks so much for Thanks coming for on. Thanks for being Thank here. Thank you guys. It was really you nice are, talking to oh, you. Oh, you guys are lovely. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a great episode today, Eric. Yes, I I learned a lot about orcas. <laughs> yes, and I learned a, a lot about Valentina sounds. So, I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, I, I'm always astounded to learn and discover new musicians in our neighborhood, or just musicians I didn't even know existed who have been here for a long time. (laughs) Sure. Well, if you have suggestions, listeners, for any topics or any musicians we should talk to, please drop us a line at whatdoyouknowgtown at gmail.com. That's whatdoyouknowgtown, all written out, at gmail.com. Or you can find us at whatdoyouknowaboutthat on Instagram or Facebook. All right, and we'll see you in, what, two weeks? Two weeks. We'll do it again. That's right. Do it again. Thanks for listening. All right.